Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Mastermind.fm. In this episode, I sit down with Rob Dix, who is known in the UK for his several projects in the real estate space, including the Property Hub, Property Geek and the Property Podcast. And he also writes great content on his own personal blog, robdiggs.com. Now, Rob and his wife, Mish, also ran the popular digital nomad blog, Making It Anywhere. And they were digital nomads more or less within the same time frame that me and my wife were digital nomads. So we have that kind of journey in common. And in fact, we used to follow their blog quite religiously when we were both doing the digital nomad thing. And eventually we both settled in different countries, but we also have a lot of things in common, including our love for investing and all things money related, parenting. We are both parents of sons and more or less the same age too. So. We were discussing some parenting techniques, schooling opportunities and stuff like that. And yeah, and also property as I mean, Rob is an expert in this area and I've also dabbled in investing in property all around Europe. So we discussed all these topics and more in this episode. So without further ado, I bring you Rob Dix. Okay, so I think maybe let's take a step back and see, maybe talk about our general goals as in lifestyle design, you know, the old mm. term that we all started out <laughs> with back in our digital nomad days. Yeah. So for me, I always wanted the freedom that goes with having the ability to organize your time as, as you want. And yeah, secondary to that being location independent, uh, but really nowadays we're mostly based in Spain and happy about that. So it's really the time part, uh, which is most important for me. Basically what I did was uh, leave my business, uh, the WordPress business. Uh, you might recall that back in the days I was quite involved in the WordPress space. Mm -hmm. So I don't run that business anymore. And I started focusing more on investments. And the reason being that investments really need a lot of time to read about stuff and then like the, you just take a decision and that's it. And then you follow up. So that really fit much better with my time allocation and thinking of about time. Following that, how do I manage with parenting? First of all, it's hard for anyone listening who is about to have kids or has kids. We all know how hard it is to balance everything. And I know you've written a good article about the doom, doomsayers about parenting. <laughs> As you hear this before getting married, before having kids, before leaving your job is the same argument all along. No? Mm -hmm. And every time it's been proven wrong, as you mentioned. Yeah. Perhaps for me, parenting was the one where I was most doubtful about because it did seem a big transition that I was not prepared for. Uh, although I had planned uh, our parenthood, I didn't feel ready at any moment before actually seeing my son being born. At that moment, like something changed in me, but still I wasn't prepared as on the day-to-day -day basis. Mm. So nowadays, basically my wife wanted to dedicate all her time to our son. So she also exited the business 
and that the kids all her time to that. Obviously, she needs help because it's very tiring. So I step in kind of a few hours, couple of hours a day, quite randomly. But eventually, even living in a foreign country where we don't have family, I was always of the opinion that we need to support a support network. And also, my wife was not really keen on sending our son to school very early. I mean, here they send them within a few months there in some kind of school environment, right? Mm -hmm. And we didn't want that basically to, to spend more time with our son to avoid the typical sicknesses. I think those were the two big things. And so I came up with the idea, not very original, but to have a nanny. Mm -hmm. And same thing is very hard to find someone which whom you can trust and whom will educate your son. Luckily, just a month ago, we found someone. And so she spends same, a couple of hours a day, sometimes morning and sometimes afternoon. And that gives us a bit of a respite to spend some time with each other. Mm. But honestly, so far in these last two years, we barely had any time mm. to spend together. And that's also affected our relationship. So it's not been easy. But I think you also mentioned another point about phases. So everything is a phase. <laughs> it's only now starting to sink in for me because I did used to panic, you know, and when he doesn't sleep, you know, like, mm -hmm. how can we solve that? You know, I don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> but then a few days later, he sleeps. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that wasn't my insight originally. I must have got it from somewhere else. But yeah. I found it so helpful to just to yeah. do that for, for the good and the bad, because it's when it's when it's bad, it's like, it won't last forever. And when it's good, it's like, it won't last forever, better enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> So about school, we don't have any definite plans. I mean, I've been reading about homeschooling. I've been speaking to people. I like the idea, but I also like to have him hang around other kids. And what where I stand right now is that if you're in a city or location where there are good schools, I am not against sending them to school at age three, four, whenever they're ready. Mm -hmm. If not failing that, I, I've heard this concept from a friend actually on this retreat. I went with a friend who was telling me that their son is in remote schooling. So he follows the same curriculum, the British curriculum, and they have these video lessons. And it works well for him also because his son is a very talented pianist. He's 10 years old. Hmm. So it gives him the liberty to spend a lot of hours on, on that. Yeah. but also getting the standard education. That's interesting. So I think there are options. It's good to have options. Yeah. Here in Barcelona, we have some good private schools. I don't think I would send them to the public school just because it's too much focus on Catalan, mm. which is so it's a good language, but I would rather have him learn good English than Catalan. Yeah. Although I can learn it as a secondary language, no problem. Yeah, fair enough. Have you been following any of the micro school stuff that seems to be springing up in the US? 
think it's quite it's interesting. It's like the, what Elon Musk was trying to build. With mm, yeah. yeah. And if there's a couple other people, like Jason Calacanis has written about it a bit recently, got some blowback from people who are thinking it's like elitist and opting out of the system or whatever, but he's obviously seen it as well. They've shut all the schools and need to teach my kid. Um, and so mm-hmm. I think he's kind of got, I think it might be about 10 of them together or something um, and it seems to be doing that. But I think, think it's an interesting model because it's kind of halfway, bet- well, midway between homeschooling where there's a lot of pressure on well, you to do the teaching job to start with, but also the lack mm-hmm, of yeah. social interaction and full-on school classroom with 20-plus kids following a set curriculum. So I think it's, it's I don't, there doesn't seem to be much about it here in the UK, but it's something I'm going, going to be sort of looking into a little bit over the next couple of years to because it seems like there, it seems like it could be a nice model. I know they were starting something similar here, and if I'm not mistaken, they were actually American. So I need to follow up on that. Mm. In principle, I do like the idea. The thing also is that we don't want our kids to be on watching video, playing with devices, right? Mm. So that's the disadvantage of doing it online is that you're stuck with devices. Yeah. And and yeah, I I mean with my wife, for example, she's not a native English speaker, so she's worried about not being able to communicate the language. Mm. I am a native English speaker, but my accent is not the typical British or American, you know, so I'd rather have them learn that rather than mine. Yeah. Same with other subjects, then we would have limited knowledge of certain subjects. So unless you have time to invest in learning alongside with them, then it becomes a bit tricky. Mm. But, the, you know, another related topic maybe is whether we should live in suburbs or in the city. Mm. Uh, in a way, it's, it is a bit similar because in the city, you can mingle with more people. There are some limitations because, you know, you don't have the fresh air and maybe you're not playing outside as much. But then it's much more dynamic. And you get that in schools as well. Versus yeah. if you're homeschooling, it's more like living in the suburbs, more mm. individualistic. You have more time to explore your own talents and but then maybe you don't get the spark that you need to develop something that's in you but you don't know about that's it yeah we've had a similar thing as we live in the city we have our parents near like nearby but they live in the suburbs of london and so our son will often go off and stay with them overnight and so we we'll see them like him like running around in their big garden and everything else and thinking ah oh, maybe we should do that but then in the city there's real advantages as well and like he's constantly encountering people from different backgrounds and who look different and everything else which i think is the kind of thing that you just don't get in suburbia in the same way and so there's I don't know, it's easy for me to convince myself that the city is a place to be because that's where I want to be. So it's convenient to come to that conclusion. But there's there's definite merits to each. And the whole kind of travel thing, we haven't really, it's been a bit disrupted for the last year for obvious reasons. So we haven't properly thought about how that will pan out as as he gets older. But mm-hmm. there could, there seems like there might be a, a way in there where, well, it doesn't have to be a binary decision because you can go to different places which have different elements of what you're looking for yeah um, and i've also spoken to another parent who told me about there's the unschooling as well the uh, unschooling method so mm. what he was doing was traveling like staying three four months in each place 
kind of what we did when we were digital nomads. And then in each place, they found a community of homeschoolers and they have, at least they go to, to a some center and they spend like the mornings together, mm-hmm. you know, with other kids. And like that, you're also mixing with kids from other cultures, which is super nice, you know? Yeah. So that's something I, I would also be interested in. Yeah. There's lots of different models out there. And I've always got to be careful about wanting to be different for the sake of it. Because I know I have that tendency is just, I want to do, be different from everyone else, <laughs> just just to be different. But I think with education, there, there's if you do have the independence from being in one place and the independence from having to do things at a certain time, it does open up all these possibilities, which... I think creates a lot of pressure to try to find the perfect way to educate your child because most people just don't don't have to think about it that hard, right? You've got a couple of options and those those options are fine and that's enough. So I do feel like some self-imposed pressure to to find the best possible way out of all ways, which is obviously impossible to do. But it's kind of interesting at the same time. Yes. So when I look back, probably the most important influence were my parents and books. I mean, I was educated in in Malta. Okay, it was one of the best schools in Malta, luckily, but in the grand scheme of things, it's just uh, one more school in the world, you know, Mm. nothing special. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know. It's just, yeah, I I don't agree with the elitist part for sure, because I think you can tell when it's a school or community where people are just being elitist versus others where... They're just trying to do something different or better. Yeah, yeah definitely. I completely agree with your point that your, your experience that your parents and are the most important influence because I think that's absolutely true, which is kind of comforting because it means that you, if you are lucky enough to be in a position where you can spend time with your kid and interact in a positive way, then everything will be fine regardless of what you do about schooling. And the downside of that is people who don't have those advantages, it's very hard to make those advantages up, whatever you do, whatever you put in place in terms of policy or anything else. It's very, very difficult to compensate for that if people aren't in that lucky position. I don't know what you do about that, but I think we are the, definitely the lucky ones. And so it means mm-hmm. means that what even if we totally mess it all up, our kids will be basically mm-hmm. fine, hopefully. But I mean, living in London, Barcelona, these are places where by default, just go out in the street and stand on a bench. You're going to see interesting things, you know, you're going to meet interesting people from all over the world just by being there. Totally. And Malta was also not too bad because you, you do get a lot of foreigners and different ideas. And it's also concentrated, just like a big city. And so for me, meeting certain people at certain points in my life was very important. Mm. Also, uh, I studied in the UK for one year doing my master's, and that was a huge change for me. So, you know, when you look back, it's difficult to say how we got here in the end, you know, and how we can reproduce something for our kids. Mm -hmm. Right now, my status would be I'm open to exploration with regards to education. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think I've always tried to be very open because like a a long time ago, there was um, somebody who, I didn't have kids at the time, but he did. And he said that he had these plans to do everything in a certain way and to travel a lot and do everything else. But then the way, the way his kids were, 
it just didn't work for them. It did, didn't work for the way that their personalities were or the way that they mm. learned or anything else. And so they, in the end, they had to adapt around their kids. I thought, I thought that was really interesting. So, yeah, you can never really make plans with any certainty, but especially when it comes to kids, you don't think you have as much control over what they're like as we probably like to think we do. And so you just have to be adaptable around that. So mm-hmm. I think whatever, whatever plan, if I had firm plans now, I'm sure in two years' time, by the time I've got like a nearly five-year-old, it's going to be completely different based on what he's like. That's a good point. Then there's the other question of whether maybe the kid has some special talents that are better, best developed in a particular location. Hmm. And let's say it becomes really good at tennis, you know. I wouldn't be traveling in Thailand if he needs to train tennis. The place yeah. to be would be Barcelona, you know, or yeah. playing with football with Barcelona, you know. It's mm-hmm. a no-brainer, right? So then yeah. it would change every plan you would have. Definitely. So do you, do you say do you say you sort of sort of spend a few hours a day with him, in general? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm about the same, and it sort of feel occasionally like I'll hear people saying things like how they want to just like spend every spare minute with their kid, and I sort of then I feel, I feel guilty about it because I just probably do like <laughs> sort of three four hours a day and. That's kind of enough for me. Like, not, no, yeah. I, that, I've, it's, it's not. It's not all I want to do. And those three or four hours are very focused, got complete attention, not distracted by anything else. But then I still like to have time for to I'll have time for work, have time for myself to exercise or whatever. And mm. I find that I find that balance really important. I think if I tried to do more than that amount of time, the, it probably wouldn't be quality time in the same way. I mean, when he was younger, it was very difficult. One hour would be max, you know, because I had not, by younger, I mean, before he was one year old, mm-hmm. it was just taking care of, keeping an eye on him, basically. Not, And that's boring pretty fast, you know, and mm. uh, like you, you cannot interact, you know, we cannot explain to him that his mom went to sleep, you know, yeah. so once his mom starts crying. <laughs> what am I gonna do? Yeah. But as from this year, I'm it's improved drastically, you know, because if he starts screaming for something, I can convince him to go do something else. Yeah. Forgets about it. So it's much more interactive for sure. Yeah, definitely gets better in that sense. And which languages do you speak at home? So I speak English and my wife speaks Russian. So I yeah, have to give up. Um, my own language mm. just because it's really not useful and I'd rather have him learn English than in the future if he's getting the English from school for example I might try experimenting with something else yeah so is, is he are you speaking are you both speaking both languages to him on a daily basis yeah like exclusively Russian from his mom and English from me that's brilliant very cool. I, mean, I grew up with many languages and I only watched TV in Italian because I had no other option. Then Maltese and English were the native languages. We learned French at school. So I'm used to it. I mean, I'm not going to put Italian TV just for him to copy me, but <laughs> it, it was useful, you know? Yeah. But anyway, he has Spanish. So. Yeah. That's great. It's a really good, really good foundation for acquiring other languages and everything in the future, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Did you plan anything around the languages part? 
No, not really. If travel becomes more part of our lives and that's something that he'll encounter. But it's like we we both don't speak any other languages. There's not really a lot mm. we can do. And we kind of have thought in the past about having a an, like a nanny who'd speak to him in, in other languages. But it's just the way the way it's worked out we've ended up the childcare we've had has been english speakers so none of that's really happened so i don't know it hasn't really felt like a way to make it happen naturally and didn't really want to force it so i think we'll just Mm -hmm. sort of see see how things play out depending on what we do in future years yeah i agree i mean there's this window for language learning which is up to 11 years old or something yeah Mm I mean, if I had to choose, I'd probably put in Chinese in there, you know, Yeah. <laughs> if I was thinking about business specifically. Yeah, definitely. That's probably where we're heading. <laughs> cool. And what do you do in these hours? Do you have like a particular schedule or is it based on the day? Whatever is happening. We've always been actually very scheduled because um, that's just like what what we're like as people. And so we tried mm-hmm. to keep as much of that as possible when we had a child. And that was, so we did a lot of, um, in the early days, we'd split up childcare between us in quite regimented ways. So we'd like, we'd like the day before we'd say, okay, well, like you do, you're going to do those two hours and I'll do these two hours mm-hmm. and things like that. And it's kind of weird, but it works for us. And then, but now um, he's at, at nursery three days a week. And so that gives us a lot more flexibility but what what we were doing up until then was i'd sort of do the first couple of hours in the morning then mish my wife would would sort of take over and do the rest of the morning while i worked then the afternoon we'd get childcare, and so we could both work and then we'd all be back together in the evenings again so it's um yeah it's like like i was saying it's like just having flexibility of the maybe maybe i should be doing more spending more time together but the balance has Mm -hmm. kind of felt about right for us so far Mm-hmm. I think you also get a response from the children, you know, as in, you know, when they know you and when you've become, you're leaning towards an outside person, you know, Yeah. and that's when you want to rein in and spend more time with your sons, you know, son or daughter. Yeah, definitely. But the good thing about the, 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 the thing, things being as weird as they are this year is that I've not, I've not needed to do any kind of work related or travel, travel or anything. So I've not been away overnight mm-hmm. at any point. So that's, so that's good. So it's felt like that, that's worked really well. Mm-hmm. Cool. So when did he start uh, the nursery? Only a couple of months ago. And so, so like, yeah, about two and a half it was mostly around just wanting him to be around other kids because he's always he's always been around adults a lot and always ha- yeah. and always been the focus of attention. He doesn't have any siblings, so he's always the focus of our attention. And then when he's had um, a nanny, it's always been like one-on-one again. Yeah. So I thought he needs to be around other kids more and also needs to get used to not being the focus of attention all the time because mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that might not be healthy. So it was around that rather more than freeing up our time or more than like learning anything so i don't really see nurseries being about learning so it's just about helping him get along with other kids more <laughs> it's too too early to say whether that's working or not no yeah that's what we're planning as well actually like around the two and a half mark to send him to some kind of nursery mm. did you see any negative effects on that did he integrate easily um 
it's hard to say. It's, he really doesn't like going there in the morning. You know, like always, always right, cry, cry and dropped off. But that's apparently that's really normal, and it can it can just like go on for years, and it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a, he's having a bad experience or anything. And seems seems to be in, enjoying it as far as I can tell. I don't think he's he's not like doesn't absolutely love it and come come home talking about it or anything i think he'd rather be with us but <laughs> i don't know he can't can't be that way all the time apparently at those ages they don't really build the relationships now with other kids yeah that's it i think they they can sort of if interact together and sort of play together on a superficial basis and like learn not to take someone else's toy or whatever the hell it is but not yeah it's not like you feel you've got meaningful friendships or anything like if you if you if you, if you watch like a couple of three-year-olds talking or something they're basically just like monologuing at each other and they're not really listening to what each other's saying <laughs> which is fine it's just i don't think that, that comes till later and i'm curious have you implemented some kind of business related teaching to teach him something related to business not yet probably should <laughs> i actually hadn't thought about that yet that'd be, uh, yeah that'd be that'd be a cool thing to do I, I mean i remember when i was young what, what i remember and what my mom says that she used to like sewing a lot clothes and stuff and she used to have a lot of these reels of thread and so i i would be selling them to her <laughs> when she was sewing and i do remember like having like a kind of shop and she would give me these coins, you know. <laughs> and yeah. I used to spend a lot of time at my uncle, who had a shop, small shop. And so I do think that it helped me get into that mindset, you know, of selling stuff and making money. Yeah. So I had to find some kind of analogy to do this with my kid, but I'd like to. Yeah. Let me know if you could come up find anything that works at a kind of a, mm -hmm. that young an age. I'd be interested to do that. <laughs> All right. So, should we talk about yeah the transition to investing? Investing, maybe. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. So you're an expert in property, you know. So maybe we should start. Like one question you've written about this as well about having an edge. Mm. So I assume you consider your edge being property, right? Mm -hmm. but how does someone know that they have an edge I, I think most of the time it's probably safest to assume you don't mm -hmm. and um unless you've got a, unless you've got a very good reason to believe that you do and if, if the information that you're relying on is just public information then you don't have an edge so it's a, a lot of the time it comes down to experience and relationships if you do have an edge i think i don't know if i if I really do have one when it comes to like in the strictest sense, so like I've done things like um, I've, I've done a bit of property development, but been okay, hasn't gone brilliantly well. Cause I don't think I really do have an edge in that respect, but where I suppose where I do is I know, I know enough not to get anything really wrong. I've got a long-term time horizon. So that makes everything a lot easier you don't have to have an amazing result straight away all sorts there's time for things to sort themselves out and i think i understand enough macroeconomics and i've got enough of a broader view of things to see where property fits into that and hopefully avoid 
buying things at completely the wrong time or in completely the wrong place and, mm-hmm. uh, and things like that. I think it's very, a lot of people in property are just property people and have quite a blinkered view and don't really think about how it fits into the wider, the, the bigger picture. And I think really to invest well over the long term, you have to see, you have to have a, a decent understanding of how all the pieces fit together. Mm-hmm. And for example, you do concentrate on UK property, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's also a process, I assume, for getting an edge in one particular market rather than trying to diversify yeah. across many. I just, I just don't know. I just don't know enough about. I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel confident in any other country uh, with picking the right, the, the whether it's the right location or partnering the right people or understanding the demographic trends and things like that. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to read the source material about it, even if I did. And even if I did do that, I don't think you get the deep knowledge of a place that you just kind of soak up from having lived somewhere a large portion of your life. Mm-hmm. So you can, of course, do it by partnering with other people. So if you've got the trust in someone that they know what they're doing and you wanted to invest in France or wherever else and that's a market they knew, then of course you can do that. But I just never have because I tend to be quite independent in my investments and prefer not to be relying on anyone else. Hmm. How about the market cycles though? Let's say the UK is experiencing a bad part of the lower part of the cycle where things are not so good. Do you double down and building for the next phase or would you consider then looking at other markets? I I think if it were not the right time for investing in UK property and at the moment I think it's like an okay time. It's not the best, not the worst. Okay. But if, if the conditions get worse in the coming years and by worse i kind of mean better i mean like prices going up and things getting unsustainable um then rather than going investing in property elsewhere i'd just probably shift to a different asset class which and sort of shift exposure a little bit where so rather than trying to do property somewhere else where i think because i think the the main downside of property is lack of diversification so if i'm taking all my capital and buying an apartment building in some part of the world I don't know very well. There are so many risks there. Whereas if yeah. I'm taking it and putting it into some asset class where I can diversify across hundreds of companies or whatever it is, then there's less chance of capital loss, I suppose, over the long term because of mm-hmm. some horrendous thing that I wasn't aware of. How do you think about the property platforms then? The like European property platforms, say the Baltic states mm-hmm. have been quite successful in recent years. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, actually, because the European side of peer-to-peer, I don't know that much about. The peer-to-peer sector in general, I think, is really interesting. It's In the UK, at least, it's mostly on the debt side rather than the equity side. I don't know if it's the same in mm-hmm. Europe. But I just find it interesting because there's so many players. Clearly, some of them are just obviously a bad idea and it's not gonna it's not gonna end well but then of the Mm -hmm. others it's quite i think it's quite hard to pick the ones that are going to make it through and do well i think in the uk at least the ones that i think are going to do the best sustainably are not the biggest at the moment and they're, Mm -hmm. they're, they're not they're not kind of pursuing growth at the cost of other things 
but I, I've kind of gone for, I, I do put some money into that section. Again, I've just done it by diversifying because I see, I see platform risk as the biggest of all the risks. So mm-hmm. if they make a few bad loans, then hopefully you manage to recover most of the capital through the, the repossession process. And that's not great, but it's okay. But if the platform collapses, then you've got real problems. So mm-hmm. that's, what, that's what you really want to avoid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, from my experience, so I've invested in various countries, various platforms. I'd say the UK platforms, apart from Lendy, which was a disaster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in a way it was never really trustworthy, but I didn't invest much there. Uh, but so then I invested quite a bit of money in property partner and property moves. Mm-hmm. Property moves are changing their structure, as you might know. So they're trying to list on the London Stock Exchange eventually. So that has been pa- basically paused for around two years now, mm-hmm. while property partner is still more or less doing okay. The big difference between the British platforms and the other ones were the level of professionality and communication. Like none of the other platforms even come close mm. to the level of reports and trust that these platforms inspire, even when things go wrong, mm. which is important. Yeah. Uh, but the Spanish side, there were some great opportunities for a while. I was doing 15, 20%. In short-term projects, eight, twelve months projects, in Barcelona. Then there was the separatist movement coming in and well, destroying the reputation for, especially among foreign investors. And these properties would be targeted towards foreigners mostly. So yeah, the market went totally south here. I have some properties which are stuck unable to sell for around two years instead of the original eight months. The level of professionality with the platforms, yeah, it's totally different from the UK. Some are decent. And then you've got platforms like Housers, which in my opinion is a total, as close to a scam as you can be, right? Uh, but as a platform, they're doing well. They're doing well. So, What's that one called? Housers. It's the biggest one, actually. Oh, right. I don't know that one. So due diligence in, in this platform is zero. You know? <laughs> and, but amazingly, people keep investing. Like I think one of their latest projects was Houser's blockchain. Slap <laughs> the word blockchain yeah, okay. on it and, yeah, anyone will invest in anything. <laughs> yeah, the previous one was Houser's app. Yeah. And, and people invest, you know, which is amazing. Yeah. It's so it's crazy, but I think the the what the the ones on the equity side, like Property Partner, I think there's a real. I see that there's a real opportunity there for taking, like what you normally to, in the UK you'd call it buy to let, but just kind of traditional property investment, you just buy it and hold hold it for residential property, and mm-hmm. um, making that a more diversified process, a more hands-off process, kind of professional, having a professional layer in the middle who do all the all the work and you just kind of sit there as an investor and get exposure mm-hmm. to that. But it's not really taken off in the way that you thought you would have might have thought it would do. But property partner, they've had their challenges, but the 
even accounting for that, the assets that they've got under management, it's not much at all. Mm -hmm. I'm just really surprised it hasn't taken off yet. And I'm convinced that it will at some point because it just seems like so many people get, especially in the UK, because there's a real bias to it, but they get property, residential property as an asset class. Everyone feels safe with it. Everyone feels like they understand it. But the hurdles to investing in it as an individual are huge because you need quite a lot of money and you need to put put the time in and needs to be managed and there's lots of legalities and things like that. So if you can get the exposure without having to go through through all that and have all those barriers it just seems like a real win but no one's cracked it yet that's interesting for example i think spanish people are much more willing to invest maybe than the british you know i think these platforms are quite are still quite localized as well mm. i'm pretty sure property partner has its biggest investor base in the uk for example uh houses a lot of them are spanish too so yeah maybe it's a cultural difference as well yeah, could be. Because the platform itself, I like the concept, you know, and I have little interest in buying an apartment myself and doing it, the, the makeover and stuff. So a platform is what I was always seeking. Then there are the other, the other ones within the Baltic region in general have done well, but you have to really be careful about who you're dealing with because there were a lot of scams there as well. Mm. So, yeah, a bit more risky, but they have done well. Yeah. I don't. I can't remember what the returns are on those kind of platforms, but I remember looking at them and just going, I'm, I'm nervous by how good that looks. But there's... <laughs> There's, uh, when you're looking at returns like that, there's got to be some risk in there and I'm not smart enough to see where it is or know who to trust. Well, you know, I don't know. Like in Malta, for example, the past 20 years, it's been incredible, you know, the returns. And if you just look at the number, you might say it was the cash, no? But it's just the country was developing, attracting a lot of foreigners with money, hmm. limited space. Basically, anything you build will be rented out. And every year it gets even higher and higher, the rent, I mean. Yeah. Is there a bubble pending? I believe so, yeah. Especially if something happens to the economy and these companies move out. Yeah. Also, has it damaged the country? Yes, it has resulted in lots of building on supposedly green areas, protected areas, and the country as a whole is much worse off. But yeah, that's another argument. Mm. it's going to be that when you get the next proper downturn that's going to be interesting because most not most a proportion of these platforms won't survive and it's only when you when things get hard you really get to see what people's processes are like and how good their underwriting's been so mm -hmm. when it's not going to be good for the sector when the downturn comes but those that come out the other side i think probably become a lot more investable and you can invest with a lot more confidence because you've got to see who the who the the ones who are actually on top of their game actually are mm -hmm. yeah with all the platforms not only in property it's right now it's a gamble i i acknowledge that uh, perhaps a lot of people don't realize how risky they are and then when something happens to their money, they're all over the place complaining. I mean, yes, some platforms were scams. You could have said most of them that they would be scams. So don't complain because you didn't do your homework, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
in the UK, there's a real trend towards more regulation of financial products in general because of every so often something there'll be a headline around something like Lindy, and then mm-hmm. the the regulator will go, we can't can't have things like this, and then they'll go and cl- mm-hmm. cl- clamp down, which is sort of good and bad. It's good it's good in a way, but it also it does mean that there's a lot more hoops to jump through for people who are doing things properly in the first place which makes which makes everything more expensive for them to run the platforms mm-hmm. which then lowers the returns for everyone so there's there's a difficult balance there yeah i was reading about the ban on derivatives was it crypto derivatives or oh yeah i've general? not really followed that i heard it happened and yeah. the uk specifically mm. so yeah you don't want to stifle investment for those who know what you're doing either what they're doing mm. So it's a difficult balance, I think. Yeah. It's also a reputational risk for the countries involved. Yeah. For example, Malta, I think, has suffered a lot in recent years with regards to its reputation because it's attracted like fake companies setting up there for tax reasons of the gaming industry. I mean, it might be justified or might not be justified, but you do run the risk when you're kind of on the edge with mm. these policies yeah so, there's, there's potential reputational risk but then there's very real immediate benefits right so if, as as a politician it's probably quite hard to turn down the money just because mm-hmm. something bad might happen and by the time it does happen it's probably someone else's problem yeah the selling of passports is a perfect example yeah. in Malta, you know? I, mean, I think it's well known that the politicians were getting money out of that Money for passports was substantial, so you're boosting the income for the government. Mm-hmm. But obviously, then Malta becomes one of the places where you can buy passports. <laughs> and if you see the list, all the other countries are all Caribbean islands, you know. Yeah. Do, do we want to be part of that list or not? <laughs> yeah, possibly not the company you want to be in. <laughs> yeah. So. On the property platform side, you seem to have written about a lot of them. How how many roughly are you invested in? Mm, maybe around seven, I would say. Okay, I thought it might be more. It's could be more, actually. Yeah, maybe ten. That's, that's pretty, that seems like a pretty good level of diversification. Sometimes I try some and exit, so I might have written about it, but then exited. Yeah. I like to try as much as I can, but I'm not a fan of being on 60 platforms. That's not diversification, you know, putting a thousand or 10,000 in 60 platforms. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> yeah. It just gets, it just gets silly, doesn't it? But there's, I think, yeah, by the time you're above five or six, you're probably up to a decent level at that point where even if one of them totally failed, it wouldn't wipe you out. There's the big question of how much time are you going to spend when you're investing on these platforms? Because, okay, you can invest 10 euro, but am I just throwing away this 10 or 100 euro and hoping for the best? Or am I actually going to take the time to read the prospectus or even take the time to read the page? Because if I'm going to put in 100 euro, that's not even worth reading the page for me <laughs> yeah. to get 10 euro on return max. doesn't make any sense, you know? Yeah, which is probably kind of links into crypto a little bit because when you sort of had the the crypto 
boom of a couple of years ago and ICOs and all that kind of stuff, then you could do the same thing. You could you could you could read the white paper and really decide where you wanted to put money in and have conviction in that, or you could just spray money across everything and go, well, one or two of them are bound to be okay. Yeah. They're probably both valid approaches. By the time you understand one ICO paper, the whole ICO thing is over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. Yeah. I just I just missed the entire thing because I was, I was sort of interested in in um, Bitcoin and stuff years ago and got like, bought a bit early on, not enough. Um, but then um, when the ICO stuff got kicked off, I kind of got interested in it again. But then it's like this just doesn't it's just a, it doesn't make sense. Like the, code, the, the numbers just make no sense at all. And so I think the the tech I find the technology so interesting, and I find the potential applications for it so interesting. But then every so often when you get the crazy flavor of the month boom that comes along like you had ICOs in and you've got like DeFi now is a bit like that and it's just like this just all seems like nonsense I'm just gonna sit it out and wait and see what happens afterwards and maybe maybe I miss out on the opportunity to have a 10,000% return on something but that's okay yeah well the 10,000% return is just one in a million and they don't talk about all the other people who lost their money so Mm -hmm. Yeah. As always, but Bitcoin and well, Bitcoin in particular really sent me down the rabbit hole to so many other different topics like economics, politics, banking. Yeah, so many different topics. So that's what kept me interested, you know, in the subject rather than Bitcoin as an investment only. Mm-hmm. So that's why I've been involved for the past five years. I've been reading about crypto. Also, I come from a tech background, so there's that element of technology, which is interesting to me, especially things like Ethereum. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting from a technological standpoint. It's just an interesting thing. The most interesting investment, I would say, for me. Mm. So that's my main motivation there. Yeah. And as I got into it more, it's a bit of a... uh, Taking it to the man, you know, the the protest against governments, against the way money works. So that's also a motivation. <laughs> yeah. But it is so crazy when you start digging into it. And it was just kind of the same for same for me. What I've I since getting interested in Bitcoin, I've learned so much more about macro topics in general and and how yeah, how money and banking works and everything else. And then it's a great gateway because it's not the kind of thing you'd naturally gravitate most people naturally gravitate towards but then when you when you get in there it's like wow this is fascinating and kind of terrible that if everyone knew this then the world would probably be quite different and i was trying to uh, there's this reading this really 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 long article the other day about money printing um, and how it works and like what the mechanisms actually are and it was a brilliant article but just i was finding it so such heavy going to understand it's like my god they've come up with this process that is so difficult for anyone to understand or explain that that seems like a feature that's not a bug that, like, that's why they've done it in that kind of way and it's, mm-hmm. but you to actually understand that you have to go to such a huge amount of effort that no one's realistically going to be able to to, <laughs> to do it. And then you say, ah, oh, well, you've got this alternative, which is actually very easy to understand. And yeah, it's it's a, it's an amazing area. I just find it endlessly fascinating. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's the thing. I'm Usually I'm motivated to learn something if I'm involved in some capacity. So 
being involved in Bitcoin gave me the motivation to enter all these topics, which I probably wouldn't be interested in if it weren't for Bitcoin. Yeah. So there's that. Mm-hmm. How do you see about see it as a as a as an investment? Like, is do you see Bitcoin in particular as like the new gold? Do you think? How far do you see it going? I do think it is a better version of gold. I do think it has huge potential. As purely a numbers game, I don't see any better investment for the next five years. The risk is really in my mind, the more I learn about all this stuff, the less risky it seems to me. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's about adoption. No? If the world rejects it, it can make a lot of sense. But if the world rejects it, that's it. Mm-hmm. No, agreed. It's important to, impossible to predict. Just yeah, I'd say there's a, probably a very small chance of it staying at around the same value it is now, and there is something, and there's quite a big chance of it going on to be worth way more and being quite a big deal, and also quite a big chance or a reasonable chance of being worth nothing. I think those those seem like the, the so you need to kind of weigh up like what's the chance of it being worth nothing versus the chance of it being having widespread adoption yeah. and kind of place your bets accordingly but it kind of staying roughly where it is seems like the least likely option yes for sure and the good thing is that unlike 2016-17 where there was a serious idea of it going back to zero i think nowadays governments are moving towards regulation rather than outright bans mm-hmm. you've got public companies like micro strategy square or having reserves in Bitcoin, that's for me a huge thing. We've got PayPal driving adoption. None of this was was available back in 2016. It was mainly retail driven. Yeah. And so this gives me a lot of hope that there won't be any legislation against Bitcoin. And that's a huge thing. That's one of the biggest risks of it going back to zero. Yeah. Failing that, I can't see it going back to zero. No, it feels like it's changed a lot over the last year alone in, t- mm-hmm. in terms of like what the chances are of that just because of these these like some of these big players coming in. So yeah, I find it really interesting. But but then I also don't buy into the argument that everything else is uninvestably expensive and did there and everything's gonna crash and Bitcoin and gold are the only things left standing because everything does look expensive from a like the stock market especially in america looks so expensive from a historical point of view but then the more i've kind of learned about um, macro topics in general and started thinking about interest rates then the more it goes well you kind of have you kind of can't look at history anymore because you've never had a period or you know had such a sustained period where interest rates have been effectively nothing and so you have to completely rethink how you think about pricing in that world and saying oh well stocks are expensive now compared to what where they were 20 years ago it's irrelevant it's because it's all it's, it's all about it's all about interest rates and that's another of those topics that we seem really boring but whenever whenever we podcast about things like interest rates people actually get quite excited by it because it's the kind of thing that nobody thinks about or talks about much but when you do start thinking about it and think about the impact it has like, oh yeah it's like it's kind of affecting everything and shaping so many things but doing so quietly and invisibly yeah but again like stock market was 
inflated. Everybody knows it's inflated. And then we're, we're all just waiting for a crisis, no? Before this happened. Mm-hmm. The crisis happened. It's very obvious that businesses in general are not doing well, but the stock market went up. Why? <laughs> because when you read about money printing, then mm-hmm. it makes sense, you know, but could you have anticipated it? I don't think so. No. So unexpected things do happen. Yeah. But the, um, what's what's the trigger for them for everything becoming less expensive? Because you've got money, there's so much, there's money being printed. You've, if bond rates are negative, then why wouldn't you kind of push up the price of stocks until if the yields are half a percent because it's still better than bonds and so it's, mm-hmm. uh, there's it just yeah i just because things look expensive now doesn't necessarily mean that they they are unless there's some trigger for everything to completely reprice itself have you ever heard of um i've forgotten his name now but there's a, there's a guy i'll send it to you afterwards he's got got a book a book out recently about um deflation and how sort of te- uh, te- Jeff, Jeff, Jeff um, uh, something. Yeah, I know. I, read it, yeah. I haven't read the book yet, but I've heard a few of his, in- of his interviews. And Jeff like, Booth. That's it. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Um, but I just thought it was so interesting what he's talking about. And it's like, when you, when you look at it through that lens, it's like, oh yeah, like this is, this is what, this is, that's how it's got to happen. And at some point there seems likely, uh, unless the central banks give up, that there's there's probably going to be some almighty some something's going to happen when they can't they they kind of push things too far by trying to push against deflation mm-hmm. and that's that's the event that causes everything to reprice and who knows what it looks like on the other side. Yeah, I find them the stuff I find really fascinating. There's uh, Lynn Alden as well, whom I follow. He's got yeah. some, some really good articles. Raul Paul is also very it's everywhere as well with his uh, podcasts and real vision mm-hmm. the youtube channel yeah a lot of good thinkers i think especially the macro is really interesting for me to learn all about these things you wouldn't have expected as you are saying no? mm-hmm. that end up affecting everything definitely so the way i see it with investing right now it's more about fundamentals like property you know would it be around in 100 years Will it be in demand? Yes. Mm-hmm. Companies, will they still exist? Yes. Money, we still need money. Bitcoin is the best chance at sound money. So that's another good one. Mm-hmm. So I don't really get into the very specifics. Just take a step back and see the fundamentals. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's why every bit as sort of pro property as as ever before even though in the uk at least it was sort of it sort of a lot of people say it's you know it's 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 expensive it's going to crash it's unaffordable all this stuff i don't i don't see it partially for the reasons we've talked about but also because like it's still it's all about scarcity everything's about scarcity bitcoin's all about scarcity but property is not is not only scarce in the in the uk at least because there's sort of limited space but also it's got utility which bitcoin has utility potentially in other ways but property has direct utility because whatever happens you need somewhere to to live and so if you've got the right property in the right location that's always going to have have value whether that value value is denominated in pounds or dollars or some other country currency in the future mm-hmm. it's always it's always the same so if you're looking at investing over a long time horizon you've got to go where, where there's something that's always going to always going to have value and property is is it and you can 
I don't know, there's lots of other asset classes you can get excited about, but there's few others where you can just have make such a strong fundamental case for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you think about investing in general? What's your aims there? Or money? How do you structure? Maybe I can just go with my thoughts and then uh, mm. just to explain what I mean a bit better. So my idea is that uh, I have the cash flow every month and that allows me to live the life we're living and then any investment i do is either long term to secure the future of my family or else to make the next big level right when i can afford not that i really need anything in particular but you know there's always a next level in terms of what you can do maybe even what businesses you can build how you can help others what you can buy so that's Maybe the Bitcoin play would be like taking us to the next level in terms of overall network. And that's how I structure it. Uh, my thoughts about money are like the cash flow per month without not necessarily having the big stash of money in the bank are invested. And then these future bets long term mm-hmm. for the next level. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm similar. I've, all, I've got a real bias towards cash flow which mm. I think is helpful up to a point, but I think you can't you can take it too far. Um, so I try to be aware of that. But yeah, it's about if there's a, having a, a, cert, a certain amount be coming in and then beyond that, just, I don't know, I don't really make any investments in terms of big bets, but, it, but I do do things in terms of the long term. So the types of properties I invest in aren't those that bring in the most money today. They're the ones that were, I think, over the next 10, 20 years, they're going to perform the best in a in a combined sense of income and capital growth. But I don't know if you do anything around like angel investing or things like that, but I've, I've never done anything like that because it's just, mm. I think it's partly the, it's this, this, it feels more like a, like a bet it's like the, because you're not you're not receiving any income from it and you don't really know what the chance of success is going to be so I, I i know that's wrong but that's the way i've always looked at it well i've looked at it quite deeply i've spoken to many angel investors the conclusions i've got is that it's a game you play when you have you've reached already the level i'm trying to reach mm-hmm. you have enough money to last your whole lifetime and live comfortably you just want to play instead of playing monopoly you're just gonna play with actual companies you know mm-hmm. and it keeps those investors who are have gotten too detached from the basics it gives them a way to get back in the game uh, because they're assisting new entrepreneurs and they can maybe assist 10 companies at once rather than because i mean i felt it as well i don't want to build another wordpress business now i'm burnt out from that but mm-hmm. if i had to have a call twice a week with some new wordpress entrepreneur totally doable and i get excited about that so that's the angel investment mentality i think that would make sense there but not as an investment to make money no it seems it seems like an investment to make if you if you love the process or you love what it, what it does if you, if you find it if you find it really fascinating and you just love learning about new startups and you love interacting with people in that world then that makes sense but you wouldn't do it yeah. just for the money yeah relevance connections helping others yeah mm. so what what do your kind of bigger long-term things look like 
if it's not that type of investment? Property is one I like because it's been around since forever. So I want to be exposed to that. Bitcoin is for me, it's a bet, yes, but I think it makes sense and every day it makes more sense. Uh, I think those are the big things for me mm. because all the others, like the loans and yeah, they come and go, you know, not yeah. basing. I mean, loans are, have been around for thousands of years as well, but I don't have the security of the platform yet. I don't trust the platforms. Yeah. So I cannot take a big bet on those. Yeah. I think that reflects what you were saying earlier about the, like, looking at the, the, the big picture. Cause if you look, when you look at your investments that way, you don't have to be that right about anything. You don't have to, you don't have to be right about the particular company or anything else or what's going to happen over the next few years. You just have to kind of look at how the world is set up in general and go, well, yeah, it's a, it's these, these themes around scarcity and utility. And then that, that, that's unlikely to change. You, you don't have to be massively right about any one particular thing. Also, I think investment is a good reflection on personality. So what I discovered along the years is I'm really good. And where I enjoy it is when I start from zero, spend that hundreds, 1000 hours, whatever, connect with the top people in that space, people I can trust, but that's as far as I go. I'm not, I won't go hundred percent for many years on one specific thing. Mm. And so, but once I establish the base knowledge and I know the people I can trust, then I can make the investment. Yeah. But I'm never going to put 90% on one thing because I never will know enough. It only happened maybe in WordPress where I knew I kind of had the magician's touch where you know the space so well that, you know, you're going to make this product, it's going to work. Just do it. Yeah. But then in that case, it was more an investment of my time going full time on this rather than the money part. Yeah. Is that what your personality is like in general in terms of just like know, knowing, knowing enough and then moving on to the next thing? Yeah. I get very passionate about something, but it doesn't last more than a few years. Max. Yeah. Yeah. Same. The generalist kind of mentality. You know? Yeah. I mean, I have to struggle to just keep my interests at a decent level. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, I could never be a programmer, for example, although I studied programming, mm. I just couldn't do it. You know, it requires 10 hours a day of focus on one thing. Yeah. But it's so important to be aware of that. And once you, once you realize that everything is like your investments can be a reflection of your personality and the way you organize your day can be a reflection of your personality. I talk, talked earlier on about like the the structured way that we looked after, after our son in the early days and that most books wouldn't tell you to do that because it's probably not right for most people but it's right for us and i think when you when you understand your personality and you can organize everything accordingly everything gets better and mm -hmm. that's probably why sort of having like sort of trying to read a book or like get insight into how someone else invests or how they organize their day or anything else is useful for ideas about what's possible but it doesn't mean you should copy because their personality is not going to be like yours no, no. Um, my, my wife has this joke that she's in dangerous territory because she's the longest thing or person I've ever been interested in. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, I've done like one of the best things I've done in recent years is do psychotherapy. Uh, so I spent like a year and a half regularly 
seeing a psychotherapist. And that helped me really get in touch with who I really am and stop chastising myself for the things I couldn't do as well. Mm. And really getting to know what I should be doing instead. That was really good for me. Yeah. It's part of the same process. Yeah, definitely. That's so, so valuable and really, really difficult to do. I think, but it just pay, pays off, pays off so much when you do. Yeah, it's just a matter of doing. It's not that it's particularly difficult. Mm. But what you're saying about being sort of like having an interest in something and then getting to a point and then moving on to the next thing to loop back around, I think that's why having a child is so scary because that's not mm. that's a lifetime commitment that you mm-hmm. can't just go ah, I'm over this now, <laughs> move on to the next thing. And if you don't if you don't like it, it's irreversible. That's what I found so scary about it. It's like if you, if you know if you leave your job, you can find another job. If you move to another country, you don't like it, you can move somewhere else. But once you've had a kid, that is it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, zero liquidity for selling. No second demand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah it's frowned upon to try to sell or even give away. So it's just <laughs> difficult. Actually, well, I think people do in a way sell when they spend zero time with their kids. No, mm. and that's something. I want to stay away from because also just because I, I find the time I spent with my son too rewarding, you know, to ever give it up just for a job or any other interest. Mm-hmm. But the pity is that a lot of people see little of their children due to the way our society is structured with jobs and, and all that. Mm. It's that it's true, and that's such a, a powerful motivator for people who kind of come into our world in terms of property investing. So when whenever we talk to people about their motivation, it's so often it's like I just don't want to be having to leave for the office at seven in the morning and get back and having missed bedtime. That's it's it's so so common, and mm-hmm. it's 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 really tough. For many people kind of in our world, they've used property as a way of reducing their reliance on the job or getting rid of it altogether. But of course, it doesn't have to be property. It could be lots of other things as well. But you kind of need to, I don't know, it's 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 not easy to get to the, the point of working your way out of it or even realizing that there is another way. It's really, really tough. But I, I just yeah. feel very, very lucky to be in a position to sort of have the, the flexibility that we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I think yeah, we've covered most of what we both had on our list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I've, but I've I've really enjoyed it and really good to actually speak after all this time. So you've, you've been in contact with Mish Bolodov for a very long time and then we have a little bit as well. And I've sort of followed Yeah, yeah. I've followed Every now and then. Followed yeah, I reply to emails. Yeah. I don't really know who I'm replying to, actually. That's <laughs> it. From you both, I guess, no, the the loop. Yeah, it is. But um, it's been actually one of the best newsletters. I look forward every Sunday, or Saturday or Sunday weekend. Sunday, yeah. Thank yeah. you. Good, yeah. good links there. That's one of our longest term commitments. Eight years, every week without fail. <laughs> <laughs> What's the motivation for that? Just to keep connected with people, or yeah. Other? We started out. We used to do like a weekly update about what we were doing in the whole the yeah. whole digital nomad thing. Then as we've moved away from that we just wanted to have some way of keeping connected with with people and 
just well, we, the, the habit was so ingrained by that point that we just thought we basically took we, we always had a few links at the bottom so then we just sort of like bumped up that part and got rid of the digital nomad part <laughs> and, and kept it going so it doesn't really make any sense but it's but it's just nice because it's a, it's a way of making sure that we keep on discovering interesting things and then mm-hmm. every so often every so often it's just a way of just i don't know reminding people that we exist i kind of think of it as like lazy i do a lot of lazy networking i'll just kind of like put mm-hmm. like my blog's like that i just kind of put stuff out there and then yeah. interest, interesting people kind of pop up in my life as a result of that without having to go to any effort so true yeah i just want to start the newsletter for so long and i i'm leaning towards doing some kind of link-based newsletter like mm-hmm. yours so yeah thank you for the inspiration I think it's well. I think it's well worth it. If, if you enjoy the process of doing it, then there's just literally no yeah. downside, and so mm-hmm. it can only be good. Do you do you use Twitter much? I do for mostly you know, checking what's up on crypto Twitter, mm. <laughs> retweeting a few stuff, but I don't really publish a lot of thoughts myself. Yeah, nor do I. I've I've never really. I'm because people talk about that as being a really powerful kind of networking tool, and of course based around interests and things rather than anything else. But I've just never personally managed to make it work for me but every, every mm-hmm. so often i think oh, i must, must give it another go then i don't but then again we're doing the blog where we cannot do both or true unless you spend too much time yeah <laughs> true there's only so many channels you can make yeah. anyway so to wrap up uh, i don't know do you want to mention some of the amazing resources that you have for our listeners to check out uh, well, if you go to, I suppose the easiest place is robdix.com, which is R-O-B-D-I-X.com, then that's well, all my personal stuff. But then if you happen to be interested in UK residential real estate, then there's, there's a link on the homepage to Property Hub, which is my day job, which is what I've been built with my business partner over the last seven years or so, which is where we do loads of educational stuff around around that part of things and we do get into the wider economics as well a lot of the time because we both find mm-hmm. that so interesting um so yeah that's that's probably the, the best starting point excellent well thanks again uh, for connecting uh, we can obviously we'll obviously stay in touch absolutely we're also part of the dynamite circle so shout out to that group for anyone who's looking for other like lifestyle entrepreneurs or anything doing this anyone doing businesses online it's a good place to meet like-minded people and yeah have a great day and we'll speak soon then. yeah and you thanks a lot john see thanks you. bye-bye see you bye and to close off if you like this episode please leave a review on itunes let us know what you like what you didn't like and if you want to give me any feedback personally on the podcast or let us know who you'd like to have on this show please go and send us an email at podcast at mastermind.fm. That's it for now, and I'll see you all in the next episode.